Salam and hello. My name is Lily Bakala Piper, and you are listening to Uproot. Uproot is a podcast about identity, culture, and global living. I decided to start this podcast about a year ago. At the time, I invited a bunch of my girlfriends over, and I wanted to discuss with them where they consider to be home in the midst of a very global life that we're living. Some of us are third culture kids, others of us are expatriates, and for all of us, Kenya has become a second home. All of us are based here in Nairobi, Kenya, but all of us have very different Kenyan stories. I hope you'll enjoy today's episode, that you'll laugh and learn with us as we discuss what and where we consider home. My guests today are also my friends, and I'm thrilled to have them here and really excited for them to introduce themselves to you. So I'm going to pass the mic to my dear friend, Janet. Hi, my name is Janet. I am an entrepreneur in effective communication. Um, I have grown up in Cote d'Ivoire and Zimbabwe and have spent the last 15 years of my life in Kenya, which is where I'm from originally. I'm Tamara Cook. I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee and lived there until I went away to college in Washington, D.C. I've lived in Kenya, France, and back in Kenya again. And I work in the financial inclusion field. Hi, my name is Donica. I'm a teacher at an international school in Kenya. I was born in Addis in Ethiopia. I spent the first 13 years of my life after that in Kenya and also grew up in Eritrea, in Asmara, Eritrea, and spent um, a majority of my adult life in the U.S. So I, I have many homes, and I'm currently living in Kenya. Hello, my name is Ruth Kuguro. I was born in Springfield, Missouri, uh, so that made me American, but grew up part of my life in Kenya um, and the U.S. as well. Um, and I've spent the last 10 years of my life in China and most recently moved to Kenya. Ni hao, Ruth. Welcome. <laughs> so as you can hear, the friends and guests that I have here today have multiple stories, multiple homes, and that's what we want to explore a bit more deeply is how do you define home when you were born one place, raised another, but then as an adult might be creating a life for yourself in a completely new space. What connects all of us here is the fact that we all find Kenya to be home right now. Um, and for several of us here, um, except for myself, I think, Kenya is now a second home. We all have been here before. So to get us started, um, part of the reason I want to talk about this question is because the last time we went to the United States, and so for you listening, um, my background is I was born in Ethiopia, immigrated to the United States at 18 months and spent the first 30 years of my life there, and then 10 years ago moved to Ethiopia, and then four years ago moved here to Kenya. So I've been in East Africa starting our 11th year here. But the last time we went to the United States, one of my kids, we got up to the immigration line where we now have to decide where, what line we're going to go into. And one of my kids asked me, what line are we supposed to go into? Are we Americans? And it really made me laugh. And then it made me wonder, oh my goodness, what do my kids think about where is home and where do they identify? And just realizing how their definition of home also might be radically different from mine. And so I think this idea, I hope, relates to us, whether you've never left home um, and we just are living in this global community, in this global world where access to information is everywhere, or if you are somebody who is quite nomadic and has been a, a lot of places. So Janet, I'm going to start with you because I, we had a conversation recently about what it was like to grow up outside of Kenya during a really dynamic time for the continent, during the time of kind of um, post-independence, pan-Africanism was really thriving. So tell us a little bit about your early years in Cote d'Ivoire. 
So we moved to Cote d'Ivoire in 1978, which was, um, as, as you say, just past, just after the independence, the turbulent independence years of the, yeah. of the late 60s. Um, and those were the golden years of Cote d'Ivoire. And from, from pictures, because I was one or two years old <laughs> at the time, from pictures that I see, it was a, a, a glorious city. It was gorgeous, gorgeous buildings. Um, my, my parents drove a gorgeous Fiat. It was brand new. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were living their best life. Mm -hmm. um, they were, I guess, what you would call expats in 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 that country in Cote d'Ivoire, and you know they'd found a community and settled into it. And so it was a situation where we were living very much in an East African environment. There were lots of Tanzanians and um, and other Kenyans and you know Africans from absolutely everywhere, um, as well as you know sort of non-Africans. Where at home it was a very kind of um, we spoke English at home, okay. so it was in that sense it was quite an international kind of upbringing. And then when we went to school, it was you know I had friends from Ethiopia, I had friends from um, Gambia, and but none of that really mattered. We had our kind of reality, we had a kind of a right now reality, and those were and we had an identity identity separate from all of that. We were expat children growing up in Cote d'Ivoire who'd found a new identity and we just we just lived in this rainbow bubble. <laughs> well, let me ask you, Diana, when people would ask you, maybe, I don't know if you have memories of this as a child, when people ask you, where are you from? Where's home? What would you tell them? Well, my parents taught me to say I'm from Kenya because okay. they really okay. wanted us to hold yeah. on to that. Yeah. And all that time we could have naturalized. Mm. We were there for over almost 20 years, wow. but it was a decision to, to not do that. We held okay. on to that identity. Okay. And so we ate Kenyan. Well, strangely, <laughs> we were not taught Luo at the time. I mean, okay. I, I picked it up because I'm good at languages, but... I mean, it was very important to my dad that we, rem we remembered where we were from. So even when we moved to Zimbabwe in the early 90s, um, it was very important to my parents that we remembered that. And so every few years, we would travel back and see the family and, and go to the village. We call that going to shags in Kenya. And it's, a, it's such a, a hugely important part of mm. my parents' identity yeah. that they... I don't think very successfully passed on, but in an attempt to make sure that we didn't that we held on to that. So I, I guess I got very comfortable with having multiple identities. Yeah. Well, I want to contrast that a little bit with your experience, Tamara, because uh, Janet, you born in Kenya, went to another country and were raised. And then Tamara, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your first early years. Sure. So I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, which is in the southern part of the United States. And my family's from the south. That's all I ever really knew. And then when I got decided to go to college, I wanted to go and do something international. I had been an exchange student in high school, and so I had been where did, really. Where did you go? To Japan and to France. Okay. Um, it was, was only that a month radical each. to your family. Was it that was. like where are you going and why? And it was. So I studied <laughs> Japanese and French in high school, and it was a really mind-opening experience. Mm. And then um, I was a part of a summer program where I got to study international development, and I was okay. like, "That's it. That is what I want to do." So I went to college so that I could study that and then it's you know I wanted to move overseas um, that's what I really wanted to do next and so um, I I was fortunate enough to get an internship at the World Bank when I was a student mm -hmm. and they ended up moving me to Kenya okay that was, your first um, well, so that was my was first that? time living overseas so that was in 2003 okay um, I was working with uh, a local bank here and then um, 
while we were here, my husband um, was able to follow me. He was a trailing spouse, um, for those familiar with that term. Um, but luckily, his organization was able to transfer him here. So he was working with InterVarsity, and he was able to work with the local student movement here called Focus, Kenya. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we had decided before we moved overseas that we really wanted to adopt. And so we thought we were going to be in Kenya just for a few months, and then we were going to move to another African country. But it turned out that we were going to be here longer. and. That's a long story. Sure. Another but we met our children here in Kenya and adopted them when they were five months old. Um, okay. So and then so that, your home really does shift at that point. And so, <laughs> yes. So then all of a sudden we've got much more stronger links to Kenya mm -hmm. than just a, one of the places we've lived. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and then, I, like I said, I, I lived in France and I've lived in Seattle and traveled a lot for mm. work. But um, we wanted to come back to Kenya. And, and we called it a triple win because we said... My husband wanted to study here, and so he got to study here um, a seminary program with um, Africans from all over the continent, which was really cool. Mm. And then the kids, the twins, um, got to live in their home country again. And I used to travel so much for work, and now I got to work here instead yeah. of traveling here. You used the term home country, which I think we'll come back and revisit, because I think that's part of what makes this conversation interesting, is that... Um yeah, how do you define that when you have birth country versus home country versus passport country? I think that's what causes some tension sometimes over in communities where are inhabiting the same space, but their definitions are different, you know? And if I could just say one thing about yeah. that, when we first came here, the twins were 10, but we also had had a biological child at that point. Mm. And we were at an international student event, and my daughter, like, kind of, like, grabbed my arm. She's like... Your daughter who's Kenyan? Mm, who's Kenyan. Yeah but an American citizen right? and didn't at this point have a Kenyan citizenship. She's like, mama, mama, what do I say? Do I say mm. I'm from Kakamega where I was born? Mm. Or do I say I'm from Seattle where we most recently live? Or, <laughs> am, am I allowed to be here? Am I an international student? Oh. And it was just a really wow. you know, yeah. interesting her taking yeah. a look at who is she yeah. um, and how does she answer the question, where are you mm. from? I'm, it's interesting you bring that because I think in a future episode I'd love to talk to our kids to see how they identify as well because I think that's a whole other experience that they're having kind of outside of even our own, which is strange sometimes when you have one unit as a family, yet you all, and I'm sure, Janet, that was similar for you, you're having a different experience than your parents, yet the, the timeline is similar. All right, Donica, you want to tell us? I, I love your story because I think it's... It, demonstrates for me what the current movements are around the world in terms of immigration and naturalization and journey and creating homes for yourself sometimes when um, that's your only option. So I'll let you say it in your own words about your early years. Sure, sure. So um, I was born in the midst of um, what in Ethiopian history is called the Red Terror. So it was a few years between 1978 and 1981 where um, the Ethiopian government at the time was conducting mass massacres, things like that. And I was born in the midst of that. When I was almost two, a year and a half, um, we decided that Ethiopia was no longer a safe place for us to live. My mother did. Um, so she basically carried me on her back, walking all the way from Addis into Moyale in Kenya and into Nairobi, where my father was waiting for us. It took them quite a while to get all our siblings here. Uh, but when Lily asked me about home, um, I was thinking it's more of a feeling than it is a place uh, for me. And it's a feeling of refuge where, mm. so whenever I'm asked where, you know, where are you from? I always think, where do I feel safe? Mm. Where do I mm. feel? And Kenya, Nairobi, the place that has offered us safety, 
not only when I was born and growing up, but I think even as an adult, I have the feeling that this is my home because I get that. And you can't really put a finger on what it is that makes you feel good about a place. It is a combination of friends, weather, definitely. Um, <laughs> we do have the yes. best weather in Kenya. So I lived in Kenya until I was 13. And um, I went to not an international school as such, but a, a school in Kenya where um, I was very comfortable in my own skin. Um, and I remember a very happy childhood here. Mm. When I was 13, my home country of Eritrea got its independence and we were one of the first families to move back to Eritrea. So when we moved back, there was still bullet holes in walls, shattered windows, no running water, no electricity. Um, we would have a, a truck that came once a week to bring us water and we'd have to haul it up, you know, bucket by bucket. And mm. uh, when I look back on those years, I mean, I was a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, probably a very moody teenager. But when I look <laughs> back on it, I, I remember it with a lot of fondness. I stayed in Eritrea for 10 years and really grew into an adult. And I think that's where I find my Eritrean identity because I really do feel like I am Eritrean and I know the cultures very well. And I think that's what my parents, just like yours, Janet, tried to instill in us is that, you know, the, cu the culture that they grew up in is something that they want to pass on mm, to their kids. Yeah. And my parents both were born in villages and they were extremely poor and have made a life for themselves. Um, and their one dream was that all their kids would be successful. Mm. And I think um, it's important to feel that you are at home to be able to give your brain and mind space to get to a level of success or happiness. And when we moved to the US, it was a big adjustment. I spent a, a 10 years there as well. Yeah. Um, two of my children were born there. And that was a big adjustment in terms of just culture. And um, I had already felt that I had a home and I had to adjust to new things. But there are many, many things about the US also that I'm very fond of. But we were extremely happy to be able to come back to Kenya about four years ago because, um, and I have not been disappointed because those feelings in my childhood of feeling comfort, feeling happy, um, have come back. And um, But then even if we were to move again, I think it, it, it's not important so much to be attached to a place, but then what that place can give you. And I think Nairobi yeah. has done a lot yeah. of that. It's so interesting because so far all of you have really, really talked about home as not at all being where you were born necessarily, but that, that feeling that the ethos that a place creates or gives you. And I think you said something profound about our mind has to be able to rest in order to fulfill our potential. And if you're not at rest, is, are you really at home? And I think that's why I think you're, when I mentioned your story, kind of connecting to this idea of I think the world is just much more aware about immigration and the need for people to have homes that are safe whether or not they are where they were born, and there's that identity piece. So, hey, Ruth, tell us about your story, which also has similar kind of movements throughout. Yeah, I mean, my story is, I don't think that dissimilar from anyone else's. I was born in the U.S., in Missouri. I've never been back, don't feel connected to Missouri. I think oh, I remember my back. mom says when I was born, she walked out of the hospital, and some kid was like... Mommy, they painted that kid black. So that's my wow. only memory of wow. Missouri. And so I've never been oh back. My gosh. Attention, and Missouri. You yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not knocking Missouri, but that's, that's my where I was born. But again, yeah. you know, in line with other people, I've said it's not really about where you're born that defines home. And so, 
Yeah, I spent part of my life in the U.S. and then here uh, in Kenya. My dad is originally Kenyan. Well, I guess he still is. <laughs> and, um, and, but then growing up here, because they chose to put us in the American education system, we kind of grew up for all intents and purposes, kind of feeling more American, American accent, American teachers. And after we graduated from high school, went to the U.S. It's interesting, though, when Janet was saying that she would go to upcountry and all of that. We did that, too, but it's interesting. I've never reflected on this until now, but my parents never wanted us to call ourselves Kenyan. or, or They did not want us to, but that wasn't a main message from them. And if I reflect on why, both my parents are pastors. And so I think for them... They just, you know, they saw where they had come in from both growing up in villages, et cetera, and how they had gone to be educated in the U.S. and Britain, et cetera. And for them, the reasons their lives were where they were was just because I think they, you know, believed that God had given them this out. And for them, it was more important to call yourself a believer than to call yourself a Kenyan or to call yourself mm-hmm. an American. Yeah. So I've never thought about it till today, but if I look back about my identity and my lack of connection to Kenya or the U.S., it's Mm. probably because I never had that as a key value growing up. Yeah, how interesting. But then just to to bring your circle kind of to where everybody else ended, after going to the U.S. for university and graduate school, you came back to Kenya and worked. Yes. Went back. No, I've got that out of order. You were in the U.S., did university, came back to Kenya and work, went back to the U.S. for graduate school. And then your life, I think, took an unexpected turn. I don't know. I mean, so Ruth and I have our best friends and I've known each other for over 20 years. So I was there witnessing a lot of this. And I think you guys went to China and that wasn't necessarily like a life goal. No. But then you were there for a long time. We were there for a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. It wasn't a life goal. I mean, I never grew up as a kid being like, I want to go live in China and yeah. learn Chinese. I just don't <laughs> look like I would want to do that. Or it just was not part of my like yeah. goal for my life. You know, I guess that speaks to when you partner up with someone, my husband, for over, what, 18 years now, then you end up doing things that you probably wouldn't have. Sure. And partly it's because he has a China heritage with his mom being from Singapore. And so that was part of his home, I guess. He's Kenyan, but that was part of what he felt was part of his identity, rather. And so that, yeah, ended up in China, which was it's a whole other story. It is a whole, I, there's so many podcasts, future podcasts in this one room. Like each one of you deserve your own episode. But I think what you're, what you're not sharing, but what I think is really fascinating is about um, a lot of people who are home. Like we've been in Kenya six years. I don't speak any Swahili other than the like, you know, very, uh, yeah, Kidogo this and whatever, whatever. But you went to China. You became fluent in Mandarin. You had both your kids there. So it has been up until last year home. Yeah. And, the, and the, maybe the technical definition of where your address is, where you get your mail, yeah. all mm-hmm. that. And so tell us a little bit about what that's been like as an adult, kind of having a significant experience outside of a home country for 10 years. That's a long time. Yeah, and I think it was an interesting 10 years. Like it was my 30s, for, which for me was pretty formative in terms mm-hmm. of who I am and who I was meant to. It would have had a lesser impact had I been maybe younger or older. But yeah. I don't know. I think my 30s were a pretty formative part of who I am now and who I'll probably continue to be. In terms of learning the language, I think it was intentional and also a kind of, um, what's that quote? Necessity is a mother of invention. And so you either like learn the language or you're screwed, basically. So I think, um, so we went there, we, you know, we lived pretty localized. Our kids went to local schools. We lived in local developments. And I mean, trust me, the first two years I was not happy at all. It was just a weird experience. I'm like, what 
black person grows up in Kenya and like comes and lives in China and has her children here. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. It's a reality show. Yeah. Yeah. You needed some cameras to capture those early years. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's some kind of like, yeah, desperate housewives in Shanghai or something like that. But what am I saying? So I think, yeah, I think the language piece was very much like it was a choice we made and didn't make. Mm -hmm. Early on, we decided we want to truly live in China. It's really easy to live in a place but never live there. Yeah, and absolutely. So, and I, we did have many friends who you know, lived in that expat, non-Chinese bubble, yeah. and they lived in China, but I don't know if they ever got past Nihao and Xie Xie yeah, and, yeah. and Kidogo, yeah. Right. Yes, yeah, um, so I hear what you're saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I think that's, yeah, and I don't think um, we're special in any way other than that we were intentional. I'm not particularly good at languages, particularly Chinese, or, but I think it's just the fact that we were intentional about it, number one, and then we ended up being there long enough for that intention to turn into something that hmm. became uh, you know, something valuable to us in terms of hmm. language, that's how it all worked out. That's a beautiful thought about being intentional and then also having the opportunity of time to create a home or create an experience. I just I want to revisit this idea that Taye Selassie, the Ghanaian, Nigerian, American author, put really beautifully in a TED Talk a few years ago about not asking me where I'm from, but asking me where I'm local. And she frames this idea of home about where you have experiences and that your experiences actually create your home. And I thought that was a profound idea that maybe we can only really express in 2017, because I think this is a new concept. I think probably all of our parents were born and raised in a community that they thought they were going to stay in. And then most of our parents are also um, subject to revolutions and political movements that change the course of their lives. That, um, you know, my story is that my parents left Ethiopia, also similar to you, Donica, um, because of Rotaire and because of the communist regime that overthrew the government. And so their opportunities for education became non-existent in Ethiopia and they looked for opportunities elsewhere and were one of the very fortunate few to able to make the right connections to have this opportunity outside of Ethiopia. But I was raised very much with a sense of we are Ethiopian in our house. I find it similar to when I go to South Asian Indian homes that you walk in and it smells like India. You know, it was the same in my home. You open the door, it smells like Ethiopia. You walk out, you're in America. So it was very much the reality I lived in was outside America, inside Ethiopia. And so home became a really complicated concept because we learned, they taught us the language, traditions and all that. But we were in the American South for a good bit of our my last years. And so Americans want you to define where you're from. Um, and my mom has been there, yeah, almost 40 years and has an accent and people still ask her, where are you from? And she will tell them, North Carolina. And they'll say, no, no, where are you really from? You know, and she'll just kind of, she has a tremendous patience and grace. But so this idea of where we're local, now as adults, Tamara, where do you feel local? It's an interesting thing, and what you can't see on the podcast is I kind of rolled my eyes. Um, <laughs> Thank and, you for your honesty. And I think I think it's it, it's true because, and and I'm from a part of the United States that is there's stereotypes about, and so I don't have a Southern accent, and that always throws people off. And so I'll, I'll never forget one of my very first like professional conversations. This man who turned out to be a mentor of mine asked me to lunch and he was, you know, so where are you from? And I said, I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then he like kind of skipped a beat and then he kind of looked at me and he's like, hmm. but you're smart. Oh, wow. You know, and it was, and wow. he kind yeah. of said it in, as a joke, but it was like one of those like a little too close to home jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm proud of my Southern heritage, but I'm also ashamed of a lot of things sure. from where I'm from. Sure. And especially now that I'm part of a multiracial family, it's like thinking mm. about, what does it look like to take my family back there? And mm -hmm. sometimes it's complicated. Right now, I feel local to Nairobi. I'd never really felt local to Seattle, which is one of the cities that we've lived in. Definitely never felt local to Paris. 
Paris, they say it's a beautiful place to live, but it's not a full place to live. It's a lot harder to, at least we found a lot harder to make local friends. D.C. feels like a place that's local. So you have a couple places where, as they would say on Cheers, you walk in and everybody knows your name. Okay, (laughs) all right. Donica, how about you? Where do you, as now an adult, you know, in your career, raising your family, where do you feel local? I think that answer will probably change depending Mm. on when you ask me but at this time (laughs) I feel local here I'm happy here for now but looking back on my life and seeing how many times we have moved how many times things have changed and the adjustment period like Ruth was saying to a new place and all of that I think it really is a state of mind that you're in so if you start with an acceptance like okay so I've moved here this is where I'm going to, like Ruth was saying, immersing yourself in it, then that's where you become local. And for me, moving to the U.S. was a very big adjustment because the cultural shift is yeah. so vast. Yeah. 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 So I, I was just thinking of now of our home in Maryland and um, of our life there over 10 years, you know, almost 15 years living there. And I don't know that I would have connect, that I connected with it as much as I could yeah. have. And I think it's because I always... You know, with the culture shock and all of that, I was always looking back on my days in Eritrea, my days in Kenya, and yeah. wanting that feeling of, you know, the belonging yeah. and all of that. And yeah. that took several years to build. Yeah. Um, I think where you feel local, I'm good to go back to my first response, is how you feel at this point in time yeah. with where yeah. you are now. Um, yeah. And probably the answer would be different for my kids yeah. because they spent most of their life in the U.S. and they feel like that's where their home is and this is temporary. Mm. Um, mm. But then it, it does take a bit of growing and maturing, I guess, over time um, to get over that adjustment phase and say you, you really can be local wherever you are at that time. Yeah. You just have to immerse yourself in it and accept that this is a place that I will call mine. Yeah. It's interesting, both of you and Tamara, without explicitly saying it, it kind of home has a little bit of a racial overtone. I mean, I can imagine part of the culture shock for you, Donica, and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, is the idea of going from Kenya and Eritrea, where being a black woman, you are part of the, the majority. I mean, the norm, if we want to say that. To go, shifting to America, where we have a multiracial society and all kinds of history that goes with that. Um, and Tamara, now as you have adopted... Kenyan children yet who are American citizens and the new experiences that I'm sure that introduces to your life rather than the ones you grew up with. Um, so this idea of locality also is, at least I think we can't escape. We live in, we don't, we're not in a post-racial society. I don't think we ever will be. So I think that idea of race still intersects with our idea of home and, and locality. Ruth, how about you? Where do you feel local? Because you're, you're kind of a new returnee, in a sense, to Kenya. So you're a bit more fresh off the boat than some of us. But um, uh, I mean, I don't feel, feel local? local anywhere, which is not a sad mm. thing. It's just... A do you feel local thing. in airports? Like, is that okay? <laughs> this is where I know. I know the terminals. <laughs> uh, I mean, these questions are so interesting because you never really think about them at such a kind of conscious level. I mean, so I was just in China last week or the week before, and it was funny... Because I landed there, um, and I felt like I, you know, sucked in the pollution. I was like, <laughs> Shanghai, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I, I walked into this convenience store where I, when I first moved there, it used to make me gag because there's this stuff they make that just I couldn't stand the smell, and it was, like, so familiar. Yeah. Um, but at the same... And I was walking down the streets. I'd always walk down. I just felt like, oh, I felt like Can I'm you home. tell the story about um, the person who stopped you on the yeah. street? Yeah. <laughs> so I felt like I was home, okay? But then... Two minutes later, people are talking about me. 
I, you know, assuming, of course, I don't understand. So yeah. then you're no longer local. You're no longer home, mm-hmm. you know. And Because they're speaking in Mandarin. Speaking in Mandarin. Assuming, assuming I don't you don't know, understand that, because they're talking about woman, me. And yeah. I'm like, yo, man, I, I forget. Oh, man, I don't look Chinese. I forgot, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, uh, to answer your question, I think I have local moments. So, um, so then, yeah, that story. That so, you know, I walk across the street to this place I used to, we went probably every other day. And the beggar, the, actually, I don't know, beggar, well, is that the right? Yeah, yeah. A homeless, yeah. He's a homeless guy who used to yeah. always ask for change. That's probably the right PC way to say it. And um, <laughs> he just looks at me, he's like, which means... I haven't seen you forever. Where have you been? <laughs> you know? And I was yeah. like, I'm home again. Yeah. So I feel like my moments of localness come and go. And I think the same mm. is for here in Kenya, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I feel at home when I'm in my mom's kitchen or in my yeah. mom's house, but then I walk on the street and someone's like speaking to me in Swahili. I'm like, yo, man, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not local now. For I remember a conversation yeah. I had with somebody. They're like, where are you from? Well, U.S., no, seriously, She's, this is here in Kenya. Where are you from? Yeah. And I realized I had from that conversation, I had a, I've, I've come up with a standard answer. It's like, where do you need me to be from to make you comfortable? Because <laughs> wow. that's what I said. Wow. I said, well, where do you need yeah. me to be from? Because yeah. she's like, your name is Kikuyu and da da da, and you look like you're from. Ken-. I'm like, you know what? I can yeah. be from wherever you need me to be to, for you to be comfortable. Because wow. to be honest, I yeah. don't. Yeah, I feel more American than Kenyan, but uh, do I ever want to move back to the U.S.? Yeah, no. Yeah. So yeah. to answer your question, I have local moments, but I don't have a local place. Gosh, I'm learning so much talking yeah. to all of you about myself and about the world we live in, this idea of local moments, this idea of where do you need me to be from, which I think is a lot of what our kids experience as well. And, yeah. and I think they opt out a lot of times of yeah. having to identify that way and say, you know what, I am who I am. You know, and, and, just, and, and it'll be interesting to see if this next generation... Um, millennials or whoever comes after the millennials, um, if they will identify as or need to identify as strongly with some of these, um, yeah, these categories. And just to add on to Ruth's, whenever people ask me when it, where I'm from, because I'm my mother is Ethiopian, my dad is Eritrean, and when they ask me where I'm from, <laughs> I won't, I'll say both. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I ask them, "What do you mean?" Yeah. And usually they'll say, "Where Where are you from?" And I say, "What do you mean? Yeah. Do you mean biologically? Do you yeah. mean where do I feel home? Do you mean?" Yeah. And then at the end of it, we have a very long conversation about what home means. <laughs> and then next time That's they ask patient. a question, yeah, yes. 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 yes, yes, it is, it is. It's a teacher and. Monica that allows for that space. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I just yeah. interject? Yeah, I'm really, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm one of those people who's who's met someone and really quizzed them and been like, mm, you know, really, really, really. <laughs> but that's a good and, thing. And that leads to that, understanding. I that actually it wasn't about that person. It was about me. It was about my identity issues, you know. And I, when I look back at that point, I was also kind of. Yeah. struggling <laughs> with identity issues at different times. I mean, sometimes I'm I'm okay with being from everywhere. Yeah, and then sometimes yeah. I'm like, you know, needing a little more um, clarity and definition. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of where am I where a local, local of? Yeah. Well, for now, I feel a local of Nairobi. And even then, I think parts parts of Nairobi because it's such mm. a sprawling, very kind of segmented city yeah, that absolutely. it really feels like many, 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 di- many different places within one. Yeah. But there was a time in my life where I felt a local of London. That's where I spent, you know, my university years. I really felt like a Londoner. It was great. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but then I also feel a local of an Abidjan, the capital of Cote d'Ivoire, mm. that I remember, mm-hmm. but that does not necessarily exist anymore. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I went 
back. You're local in your memories. Th- I'm yeah. local in my memories, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. went back in 2004 and it was the same and yet extremely different. Yeah. It didn't feel like the same place. But I remember yeah. what it used to be. And, you know, I'll go to visit someone and then they'll be cooking smells from someone's home who's clearly West Africans. And that will immediately take me back. Mm-hmm. Or I'll hear a song or something will come up in my memory and it'll take me back to that place that I remember. Yeah. That yeah. is That has changed. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a local yeah. in my memories yeah. in some ways, yes. You know, it's um, we're recording this in December and it's a holiday season and so a lot of us will see family or be with family again that sometimes brings that sense of home. Uh, we were decorating for Christmas and as we pulled out certain ornaments that have been around a long time, it brought back these memories. So this idea of memories, you know, are so tied to places, events, moments, as you said, Ruth, so I think profoundly this idea of being local in moments. And I, I fear, feel that a lot because I'm not living in my passport country or my home country of birth or where I'm a citizen, you know, so it's... Where it's home. Well, right now it feels like home because I'm looking at these ornaments that I made when I was 10 and the ones that my kids made when they were three. And so that brings me to those moments that make me feel home. Most of us here are on the same demographic age-wise and still many years from retirement. But certainly I think a traditional idea of where you retire is that you go home, right? That you go somewhere familiar or somewhere warm, maybe. Maybe that's the only criteria. But where do all of you see um, yourselves at some point saying, this is now my home? So where's that place going to be for you? Any ideas? Ruth, you're kind of having a lot of physical reactions. Your face is saying a lot. Maybe you can um, pass the mic to her daughter because she can... What, what are you thinking? No, I have no good answer to this question. I'm making faces <laughs> because this is my current angst. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm, I just yesterday I had a um, conversation with my sister-in-law and she's also having so much struggle. So mm. I guess... Um, the struggle this, around what? Though? Struggle around where are we going to die? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, where are we going to die? Like, That's where do I want to, yeah. like, just breathe my last breath? Yeah. And I don't like know. Abraham I certainly don't want it to be in, like, Kenyatta Hospital and people are like, oh, we can't find the, you know, like, where's the doctor? We don't know. They're on strike again. So yeah. I just, I, um, I, like, have so many problems with that, with that question. Mm. And um, I think... Yeah, I, and I and, and no one, and it's interesting because even I was talking to my husband about it yesterday, and he he also gets all up in yeah. whatever that phrase is, knickers up in a bunch because he's like, "Don't think of the future because we can't figure it out." And yeah. but I don't know because I think it's probably one of the prices we paid for the privilege of living all over the world. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Is the that yeah? Then the idea of where you're going to quote unquote settle is not only unsettling, but it's also hard to answer. Yeah. I don't know if any of you have thought about where will I, as we said, where will I die? Where will I, where's that last place I want to call home? Tamara, do you have thoughts? Or Donica, I see both of you kind of nodding. Um, it's a hard question. And I think it's one we, we don't know. I mean, my husband and I recently were just updating our will. We realized we had a third child. We probably should put him in it. Um, <laughs> And, uh, hey, Peter. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, but, but you, you're forced to think about some questions like if one of us were to die, where would we want to be buried? And even mm-hmm. just that, it's yeah. like, we don't, well, probably not here. I mean, we're in Kenya and we're like, well, probably somewhere where the kids could visit. So should it be near one of our parents or, and it, it, yeah. it, it, it just, we just never, we didn't sort it. We just decided you decide and we'll figure it out later, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen. (laughs) And then on the idea of retirement, I think it's also back to the idea of home being an idea, probably we're going to be, want to be, it's going to be relational. Mm -hmm. So whether it's near our children or near other friends who are also retiring and healthy that we can hang out together or, um, but hopefully grandchildren, maybe I, I, I do think that the idea will be, I don't know, relational. 
And, and also just the, the idea that you brought up about your parents, like this world isn't our home. Mm-hmm. Our final home is somewhere else, you know? Yeah. And so what are we called to, to do while we're here in this place? And yeah. I think it's more about relationships than mm-hmm. places. Yeah. It's Talking interesting you should say that, Tamara, because um, like, like your daughter, I feel the same way about home. Home is where my parents are. And for a long time, that was it. And still, at least I still feel that way. So mm. home, Nairobi feels like home to me because that's where my family is right now. And I agree. I haven't thought about where retirement will take place. That's okay. That's okay. What a now scary you will. thought. Now you're going to go I, home and stress out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Janet. <laughs> Sorry for coming on this podcast. <laughs> Listeners at home, I, hope, I encourage you now to go get that cup of tea, get that glass of wine that you need to get through the rest of this podcast. <laughs> it got real in here. Sorry, Janet. Go ahead, though. You were saying. So, yeah. so yes. Yes. Thanks yeah. for introducing yeah, it. A new thing for me to worry about. Um, But yes, I I agree with with you, Tamara. It's going to be relational. It's it's going to be Mm -hmm. about where where will I feel most, um, you know, embraced. Yeah. Um, um, Yeah, where will I feel most embraced? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a different take on it. I guess I, I look at the future with optimism because... For me, life is... That's Danica. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we love you. Yes. There are many events that have happened in my life that have, um, I guess, opened uh, my eyes to the... um, That the fact that life is temporary. I mean, I can make all these plans and have everything set in place and I will be gone tomorrow because... A bus driver was driving the wrong way. That doesn't way. sound optimistic. And I thought you no, said I'm looking at I would, optimism. But what I think what gives me, um, makes me think of my future, and we have had discussions with my husband as well, and we like look at our retirement place in terms of what we want out of the place and relation, like relational as well, because we don't know where our kids are going to be we feel like we would probably be most happiest like if we were around maybe a seven-hour plane ride at most from where they are. Oh, you've quantified it. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's, okay. That's we would want to, be... to revisit that will, Tamara, and put yes. in like a seven-hour <laughs> window. <laughs> My non-negotiable is that I have to be warm at all times. I would okay. That is... So I think rather than say it must be a house with three rooms... I have mm-hmm. to be able to have X amount of time. And this is how... I mean, you don't know how you're going to feel when you're in retirement age. And maybe you you want to keep working and you want to be yeah. busy. Maybe you just want to read a book all day and not do anything. And I think the probably the things... And this is not the right approach, probably. The, <laughs> the things that make us stressed out is because we don't know what our future holds and we're not in control of it. Yeah. And we are more at ease when we're in control of the things that are in our life. Well, it's interesting that you said it because you would think that home would be something that is simple. For many, many people it is. It's where I was mm-hmm. born. I'll just go back there. Or it's where my parents are. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of clarity that comes with it. But what I hear you saying is that it's not that that's not that simple, actually, mm-hmm. um, because we can't, in your situation, and maybe many of us here relate to that idea, that we don't feel like we can control that, that it's maybe different mm-hmm. for our generation than it was for our parents or previous generations where home was pretty static. And maybe for us it feels more fluid. I don't know. Yeah. We've yeah, we've gone through many phases where we have stressed out about many things and then <laughs> you know go gone over those hard times and when you look back you say you know it would have worked out anyway. It yeah. was fine, you know, just take it day at a time. Um so when I think of like where 
where do I want to be when I die or, you know, things like that. Yes. I would yes. just... <laughs> it's okay, Ruth. <laughs> I would rather, I guess, spend the time enjoying where I am right now. And yes, squirrel away for the future, do your savings, whatever it is that you can do that makes sense for yeah. the future, but not put yourself in a box at this time because yeah, you never know sure. you we Once. all evolve you know like how Ruth you said your 30s defined you and you're a different person coming out of that than you were going into it and in your 20s you would have never said this is the person I'm going to be and I want a b and c so that's how I look at my well, retirement yeah, that's for your optimistic sunshiny take on this okay thank you Ruth I'm going to let you have kind of the last word we're actually running out of time so Ruth I'm going to let you just maybe give us a last sense of um, you were making a lot of raised eyebrows about kind of you know the idea of a home at the end and, and I, I certainly have some thoughts about that as well but where do you see yourself um, retiring we've actually talked about this about uh, you know long term maybe plans but any yeah. clear idea for you where no that home I have will be? nothing of wisdom to add at this point I think um yeah, I was just thinking, you know, you talk about relationally, but then I think, again, one of the, not that I'm, you know, pessimistic person, but one of the outputs of living this life is, I don't know where my kids are going to be. So if yeah. I think I want to live near my kids, it's no longer like, I want to go from, from my parents, it was I want to go from here to America, or yeah. from here to Europe. Now I have no, you know, kind of the blessing is the world is their oasis, and, and therefore I can't really think, I think that I can't really think about yeah, where they will where be. They could be, be anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking while everyone was talking about yeah. where their kids will be. But I guess a seven hour plane ride is not a bad way to. <laughs> that's our advice for it. anybody listening is keep things within a seven hour window where you can get to <laughs> folks with no stops. Not it has stop. to be nonstop <laughs> seven hours. So seven hours driving, seven hours walking, seven hours flying, seven hours by donkey, whatever it is. Seven hours is the max. Well, thank you all so much for exploring this idea of home with me. I think um, we hit on a lot of ideas that have resonated with me, this idea of memories and moments, the idea that um, the definitions evolve and change as we do. And I think a common thread that I heard from all of us is that where we were born does not anymore really define where home is. And that, that definition, it's okay for it to be fluid, and yet it comes with quite a lot of complexity and a lot of questions for us, and probably even more so for our families and how we think about that. Um, but I think my, the one takeaway that I'll really that will stay with me is this idea of the, the relationships too and that that idea of home is really connected with the people that you connect with and, and how important that is for all of us. So thank you for listening to The Uproot. My name is Lily and I hope you'll join us next time. Mm-hmm.